Hey, welcome to the Metal Detecting Show, episode number 18. Of course, my name is Kieran, and this week I talk about mistakes we have all made when detecting. We have our regular tech timeout, where I chat about profile switching, and of course, some updates from my adventures in metal detecting. So let's get on with the show. Hey, thank you for listening. We're at episode number 18, and I hope you enjoy the show this week. If you want to give feedback or interact with the show, please reach out to me on Twitter at DetectingThe or Instagram at The Metal Detecting Podcast, or if you want to pop me an email to Kieran at TheMetalDetectingShow.com. If you like this content, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Firstly, let's talk about my adventures in metal detecting this week. I had a total disaster out on a new beach. I started the day well. I got up early to get a few hours in before I started work for the day. Got to the beach, got set up and started. But my Equinox 800 was going off like an 1800s telegraph machine. So I had to do repeated noise cancel and ground balances, which drove me crazy, but drove me even crazier when I realized I was the cause of the charter as I hadn't put my phone in airplane mode, so an hour wasted doubting and recalibrating my machine because of this slip up. I then lost my pro pointer, and while looking for it, I noticed someone suspiciously walking their dog very close to my car, so once I found it, at that stage I gave up and went to work. I came away with nothing except a great idea for the podcast this week, and that is mistakes that most detectors have made at one stage or another. I have made every one of these mistakes over the years so you don't have to, so pay attention. So here's my top 10 mistakes a detectorist can make and how to avoid them. Mistake number 1, and probably the most debilitating and frustrating mistake I've made in a while, was not putting my mobile phone on airplane mode. Sometimes you're fine to leave your phone on as normal, but this actually depends on the cell coverage of the area. If you're detecting in an area of good mobile phone signal coverage, you will be fine as your phone's radio will switch to low power mode as it doesn't have to search for a cell to connect to. But if there's no cell coverage, your phone will continue to ramp up its power output to try and maximize its chances of reaching a cell tower for connection. And this is what happened to me this week. I wasn't aware that I had moved out of phone coverage causing my phone to go into search mode, causing interference in the largest antenna in the area, my detector. Mistake number two not having your pinpointer secured. For me, even though I have a holster for it, up to now I have foolishly insisted in keeping it in my pocket. Losing your pinpointer not only does it ruin your day, it's the one mistake that can cost you a pretty penny to replace if you don't happen to find it. Mistake number three, not charging your equipment beforehand. I lump in here spare batteries too. In the age of wireless headphones and USB charging, it is essential you fully charge your detector before you hit the road. Most detectors will do in excess of two full days on a charge, but as your detector gets older, and so will the batteries, and their ability to hold charge will diminish, resulting in that day when your detector powers down halfway through your second day, when you could normally get two full days for a charge. This goes for pinpointers and headphones too. It just takes one of these to die in you to ruin your day or force you to change your process creating doubt and frustration and taking the enjoyment out of it for you. Mistake number four, digging your equipment. And I'm not saying digging as in loving. I'm actually talking about digging a signal given off from your sand scoop, your boots or a loose coil cable. Remember, any metal moving in the vicinity of your detector's coil will give a signal. So best mitigate the possibility by making sure your coil cable is tied down properly 
holding your sand scoop behind you if it's metal, as all good ones are, and making sure you're not wearing steel toe cap or steel sole boots. There is no bigger waste of your time than digging a clod to a hole with nothing in it. Mistake number five. You've been out detecting, you find a gold ring, you stick it in your finds pouch only to find when you get home that your top find for the day has disappeared and gone and lost itself. What a disaster, but a disaster that could have been avoided by having, firstly, a well-maintained finds pouch with a separate section for your most valuable finds that day, or better yet, a separate finds box that fits in your finds pouch or a zip pocket in your jacket. Mistake number six, not wearing gloves or wearing the wrong gloves. Another mistake I made this week was not having the right gloves with me, resulting in me having to put on a right-handed glove on my left hand. Now you think, what's the big deal? Well, if you have delicate office worker hands like me, the misalignment of the glove seams will and did cause blisters. No gloves will result in pulled nails and running the risk of getting cut via a glass shard or metal splinter. It makes total sense. Don't try to be a hard man or woman, wear well-maintained, lightweight gloves. Mistake number seven, detecting with the wrong digging equipment. What I'm referring to here is bringing the wrong equipment with you based on the terrain you're detecting in. For example, bringing a sand scoop just because you're going to the beach to detect, but only to realize when you get there that you really needed a hurry knife to get between rocks or dig precise holes around picnic tables. Now, normally you can bring everything in the car or truck and go back and swap out, but that's a complete pain, especially if you plan on hiking to a spot only to find that your spade won't get through the hard ground and that you needed a pick instead. Are you going to hike back? I know, I wouldn't. Mistake number eight. Digging your hole too small or misaligned and nicking your find. Now, not really a problem if it's an old iron relic, but if it's a silver coin, there's nothing like a nick to take the excitement off a find like that. Make sure you can locate the find accurately under the coil. Practice if you need to, but if in doubt, dig a hole a little larger than you would to help avoid your misery. Mistake nine. Now, this is a weird one, but understand the baseline performance or normal behavior of your metal detector. I'll tell you a quick story here that is 100% true. When I got my first detector, the Bounty Hunter Quick Draw 2, I was ecstatic. I would detect rain, hail, sleet or snow. Because it's not waterproof, I would stick a plastic bag over the control box and carry on like normal. But after about six months, the detector had become very erratic, beeping at the end of a swing and at times having a total meltdown that would require a well-calibrated bang for me. This went on for about a year before I sent it back. Now, why didn't I send it back before that? Well, because I was using the detector in the rain, I assumed I had voided the warranty and was willing to live with the consequences. But when I bit the bullet and returned the detector for repair, I received a brand new detector in replacement and a letter of apology from Bounty Hunter as they had identified a manufacturing fault in the detector. Straight away, I thought of the whole year detecting I had done with a faulty detector and luckily I got to go back over those sites. So know your detector and know when it's behaving weirdly. Don't be afraid to reach out to your manufacturer. Mistake number 10, using the wrong program or profile. I cover using profile switching in this week's Tech Timeout, but if you set your detector up to detect on a field, it is safe to say and obvious it will not perform to the best of its functionality on a beach. So just before you start, double check your settings. You never know what you might miss in the wrong program. And a bonus mistake. 
don't forget to read the manual and read it regularly. You might think you know what each button does, but I have been caught out a few times manually adjusting settings where there was a way to automatically do it. This is especially important if you are using more than one detector regularly. Okay, to come clean, I've made each and every one of these mistakes, but to recap quickly and maybe a checklist for your next hunt, one, turn off your phone, two, secure your pinpointer, three, charge up before you hunt, four, no steel toe cap boots or soles, five, secure your finds, six, wear well-maintained gloves, seven, think about the equipment you will need and only bring that, eight, learn to pinpoint properly or commit to digging large holes, nine, understand how your detector drives 10 make sure to set the correct program first and 11 the bonus one rtfm you should know what that means by now up next is this week's tech timeout on profile switching time for this week's tech timeout this week's tech timeout is about profile switching or program switching i'm not sure if this is a basic skill or an advanced technique to put it simply, profile switching is essentially switching from one detection program to another to best give an indication of a potential find. Some would say that profile switching is a new technique, but I believe this has been about since the implementation of discrimination. If you think about it, switching on and off your discrimination allows you to identify the iron content of the find. This is profile switching in its simplest form. It helps to bring more color to those iffy broken targets. For me, when I'm on the beach, I tend to discriminate out iron, but will switch to full iron or discrimination off when I receive an iffy or scratchy signal, especially if it's a ring pull sounding signal. My first experience with program switching was at the recommendation of Garden Heritage, whose beach and tadpole program on the CTX was my, and it still is, my go-to programs on the CTX. Some newer detectors these days have a user button which can be programmed to carry out some function and a lot of users program these buttons to revert back to the last program. Some brands allow you to switch between all iron and whatever desired program you may want, while some allow you to switch between different bespoke programs at the press of a button. This is very handy allowing you to switch quickly and seamlessly between programs during a hunt. But what programs do you switch between? Generally, when selecting programs to switch between, it is generally best to have two programs where one program is a subset of another, but of the same family. For example, the two programs I use on the Equinox 800 is Beach 1, which discriminates out 0 to minus 9, while using the all metal button to bring everything including minus 9 to 0 back in. So Beach 1 is a subset of all metal mode, but of the same program family. You can get very technical with profile switching, having one program searching with a particular set of frequencies, for example low RF, and the other program focused on high RF, but that's beyond me and the scope of this short podcast. Another top tip that relates to profile switching, consider pinpointer mode. This is a separate program that is essentially all metal with motion detection switched off. What that means is you don't have to wave the detector about to generate a return signal. I use this when I want to pinpoint a find like a normal person, but I also use it when the signal has disappeared after the first dig and the detector can no longer reference the detection. I just switch to pinpoint mode and 9 times out of 10 the detector will locate the find for you, indicating where to dig again and the find should be yours. So profile switching can help with the dig no dig decision, so learn it and use it and use it well. Okay, I hope you like this episode of the Metal Detecting Show. Before I wrap up, I want to shout out 
GD Zag, who gave the show the following five-star review on Apple Podcast. Great metal detecting show. I love the to-the-point format. I've lost interest in many metal detecting shows because they forget their audience and they drone on with uninteresting banter. Many other shows really could be edited down to a much, much shorter in-length podcast using just the subject matter that is pertinent to the hobby. Thanks so much, GD Zag. Your review has really brightened my day. If you like this content, please don't hesitate to tell your friends and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you feel like taking your appreciation to the next level, feel free to leave me a positive review on any podcast directory of your choice. Check out our website, www.themetaldetectingshow.com for this episode's show notes. Check out our Patreon page if you want to help the podcast stay alive or just want to buy me a coffee. Just search for The Metal Detecting Show. Once again, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we will chat to you all again next week. Get out there and happy hunting. Happy hunting.